0: You know, it's been said in uh, Bible colleges and training of, of pastors, beware the man that meets you at the train. Uh, today it would probably say, beware the man that, that meets you at the plane, that meets you at the end of that jet well. It can't go down to the end of the jetway. It meets you at the baggage claim, Right. And the reason for that is is because usually, typically, sadly, in a lot of churches, that person that meets you there can oftentimes be the church boss. The church boss. One of the aspects that I am pleased to tell you uh, that I found uh, going on 10 years ago coming to Harvest Fellowship is I looked around and I could not find a church boss here. And that has been a, a blessing on, on my ministry as pastor here at Harvest Fellowship for sure. But what makes a, a church boss? I, I read from uh, Harry Gordon Selfridge, who says a boss drives people. A leader coaches them. A boss depends on Authority. But a leader depends on the goodwill of their followers. A boss inspires fear. The leader inspires enthusiasm. The boss says I. The leader says we. The boss says go. The leader says let's go. You might know pretty quickly that the difference between a boss or a leader, it, it, it goes beyond the church context. It certainly, we see that in the work context, but we also see that in the family context. All of those difference between being the family boss or the, the family leader. And we learn here this morning about shepherding, coaching shepherding relationships in our passage here today and, and it's kind of vague in our passage and uniquely vague here is as Paul writes about church leadership and I think that um, I find this these verses in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 through 15 I find them to be very affirming of our style of leadership and style and approach to leadership development here at Harvest, and the reason being is you find that there's, there's a kind of some, I hate to call it vague terminology, but it's kind of hard to see who's being talked to here in these verses. Who's the leader and, and who's the one that's supposed to be doing the ministry and, and whatnot, as you will see. We see that shepherding is to be done by more than just the official church leaders in our verses here this morning. Well, let's jump into um, verses 12 through 15 where we read, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Think about this. The Apostle Paul, one of 12 men who have walked this earth that are, have been apostles of Jesus Christ, one of the men that will sit on 12 thrones within the throne room of God for all of eternity, the Apostle Paul is writing to these new believers of Thessalonica and he calls them brothers. That's an amazing aspect of what it means to be a fellow saint, to stand in Christ's righteousness rather than to stand in our own. But we move on here, and he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So I I titled this message here this morning. There's no I in church. It made me think about when Shaquille O'Neal was giving a eulogy at uh, Kobe Bryant's memorial service. I'll leave the foul language out. And um, he was describing a a situation in which Kobe on on the Lakers he he had quite a reputation for being a shooter, not a passer. I rarely would pass the ball when he would get it he'd he'd make most of those shots but a lot of the other teammates were kind of upset about this and and they were kind of like they went to Shaquille O'Neal and they were saying you know can you talk to Kobe because uh, our stats are like tanking because whenever Kobe gets the ball he shoots and we're winning but we're kind of losing as individuals here and Shaq says, well, okay, I'll talk to him. And he, and he takes Kobe aside one day and he's like, hey, listen, it's kind of causing some discord here and some of the guys are having problems with the fact that you're you're not passing the ball. Can't you dish it out a little bit more? And, and he kind of closed his argument saying, you know, Kobe, there's no I in team. And Kobe's response was this. No, there's no I, but there is an M and an E. <laughs> so that's the basically the feedback that Shaquille O'Neal took back to his fellow teammates. He ain't passing the ball. Deal with it. Now if you put Kobe Bryant next to a 99-year-old man, who, a man who was 99 years old when he died, yet even so, if, if you looked at the two of them, you, you'd think, okay, one of these guys is a lot more productive than the other. One of these guys can get a lot more done than the other. But that 99-year-old man, that man who was 99 years old and still making incredible impact on this world, was John Wooden. As a coach, John Wooden took the UCLA Bruins to 10 NCAA basketball basketball championships over a 12-year period with four perfect seasons and an 88-game winning streak. He was ESPN's greatest coach of the 20th century. He was voted number one coach of all time by the sporting news. But as a strong believer, as a strong follower of Christ, Sports Illustrated said it best when they said, There's never been a finer man in American sports than John Wooden or a finer coach. John Wooden had so much, even at age 99. Had so much still intangible contributions to the world. Just, just, I'm just going to share five of of his statements that I think kind of play out. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna resist the temptation to digress on each one of these. The five statements he was known for: good values attract good people. Adversity is your asset. It takes ten hands to score a basket. I think that's probably what he would have said to Kobe. The carrot is mightier than the stick regarding motivation. And one of his personal rules that he would expect of his players, he said that use the most powerful four letter word love. A leader one who works by biblical principles. One who understands that the ultimate balance of his life is going to be evaluated not on the court, not even in this world, but in eternity. That's what's most important. That's what's important in a, in a coach. It's what's important in a shepherd. And first of all, the point that I want to draw out of our passage here this morning is to challenge you to receive the ministry of shepherds. Now, we have official shepherds, we call them, at our church, which are elders, you know, myself and and Jeff and Brad and Ed and, and Brian. But we also see the responsibility for shepherds to be involved in their homes, for husbands and wives to be shepherding their children, Uh, to for for sunday school teachers to be shepherding that class for small group leaders to be shepherding that group for ministry team leaders to be shepherding that area and so and as i say shepherds understand that 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 i i believe that the vagueness of our passage here in terms of just who he's speaking about you know not using the term elder here to the thessalonians uh, represents the fact that more should be doing ministry than just the official leaders or especially the pastors of a church. I think this affirms much of our approach to ministry at Harvest. And he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We see the important aspect of the follower, the, the, the receiver of ministry. With the young nature of the, the body in Thessalonica, it may be that they did not have the, the uh, official team of elders put together that we see the Apostle Paul and his team, very led by the Lord, would set up in the churches that they had established. But three verbs characterize these leaders within their church whether on an organized group or not. They, they labored among them. This represents laborious toil, hard work, investing themselves in the good of the body. And, and, and uh, they were over them. They, they exercised a degree of rule. They directed ministry. They admonished them. This means they warned them correction for the purpose of individual growth. And, and this, these, these attempts were called to be responded to with three verbs, to respect their ministry, their work, to, to esteem them. And he adds very highly, meaning beyond, exceedingly, abundantly. Paul is making a strong plea for the leaders to be held in the highest regard. Not for the reasons of their personality or their office, but because of the important work, the important goals of the growth of a body of Christ. And the third verb that they were called to was to be at peace among themselves. And so this first specific application we draw out of these verses is that we should embrace what is typically rejected. The ministry of these people involved admonishing, warning this group of believers. Today, to welcome the ministry of someone who might admonish you is unheard of. Today, rather than expecting leaders to push and move people forward, people think that leaders are there to make them feel better about where they are at that time. Rather than to push them to move forward. We're familiar with Hebrews 13 verse 17 where we read, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. We take that very seriously that souls are being watched over. And we see that, that important role. We, we don't limit that just to to the official shepherds at our church over in Children's Church right now. Jeff is very attentive in that ministry to the fact that those teachers watch over the souls of those children. They will give an account for the ministry that is being done there today. One writer says, leaders can never do their best work when they are subject to cutting criticism from those who should be their followers. Good leaders need good followers. And and that's the point that is being made here. Embrace what is typically rejected in our culture. And the second specific application we draw from these verses is that we should embrace the role of peacekeeper. Each of us should embrace the role of peacekeeper in our relationships. He's saying, don't be those squabbling kids in the back seat, right? Don't be that kid that, that the church has to stop what it's doing and pull over and deal with the issue because you can't make peace among yourselves. We don't find ourselves having to do that much at Harvest and, and we're grateful for that, but it's our responsibility to do so. If, if peace is not being kept among individuals, but that's the first calling, that's the first responsibility here. Be at peace among yourselves. It, that's not to say that the, 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 those who were, were doing ministry at the Thessalonican church, that they were doing this perfectly. There, there was probably some feathers getting ruffled as well. Psalm 34 verse 14 tells us, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12 18 reminds us, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I love 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Isn't that what we desire as a church body? That the God of love and peace would be with us. That comes from individuals seeking peace with each other. The Bible exposition commentary says whenever you find division and dissension in a local church it is usually because of selfishness and sin on the part of the leaders or the members or both. That's what James 4 reminds us of. It lays the blame right where it belongs. Where it asks what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it that problem person? No. It is is it not this That your passions are at war within you? Do you desire and you do not have, so you murder? You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? The problem is here. I don't know about you, but I can run into problems with people wherever I go. You know why that is? Because I take the problem with me. And that's where God wants to work. Ministry that is driven by pop psychology or pragmatism. It may look at verses like James. And, and they, may, they may throw that out and decide we, we need to resolve conflict by asking, so what does each party here need from this situation in order to be happy? What does each side need here? What kind of compromise you, you get what you want and maybe you can get what you want and then we can make everybody happy. But following Christ is a matter of denying ourselves daily and taking up our cross and following him. And when in conflict with others, we should really be celebrating the opportunity to to surrender what we want to God's will. To lay it on his altar as an offering of sacrifice and say, Lord, here's my needs. Here's what I want. I offer it to you. And I trust you that you can meet them if it's your will. Lasting peace comes through dying to ourselves, not through being appeased. But remember again what what Romans 12 tells us if possible, as far as it depends on you. It may not be a two way street. I like this picture that I drew one time that kind of is the image of, of what a shepherd is at harvest. I don't know if you can tell, but, but that's, that's one sheep riding on the shoulders of another sheep and put on the garb of a shepherd. And their eyes aren't on the sheep as much as their eyes are on the chief shepherd. That's what shepherding is. It's, it's a sheep it's a group of sheep that are just trying to, to shepherd the other sheep. Nothing special about them. And again, that's, that's what's going on. That's what should be going on in a small group. That's what should be going in on in our homes as parents. It's what should be going on in ministry areas as well as, as the, the office of shepherd at harvest. Receive the ministry of shepherds. The biblical model could get combined easily with, with fleshly thinking and, and go wrong. A person could think, my church leaders, they're, they're nothing more than normal men. Why should I follow them? Why should I care what they think? My small group leader doesn't do a very good job. Why do I need to contribute? You know, the person who's shepherding our ministry area, it's still, they're still trying to figure out how to lead this thing. Why do I have to be their guinea pig? Yeah, they're growing. That's part of the purpose of it all. Shepherds, whether they be church leaders or small group leaders or ministry area leaders or or leaders in the family, we're not called to respect and honor them because they're phenomenal. They're not supposed to be a phenomenon. We do so because that's God's way for us to grow and to follow him together. It's what he designed. Moving forward, I appreciate a quote from Vince Lombardi. Individual commitment to a group effort, that's what makes a team work. A company work, a society work, a civilization work. Individual commitment to a group effort. That's definitely fallen apart today. What we see today is the expectation for group commitment to the individual. I I heard recently it said that um, it used to be that, that individuals saw their family, they saw their work, they saw their society, and they asked the question, what is my responsibility to it? What is asked today is what is their responsibility to me and are they meeting it? I think that was Jones, John Stone Street that I heard talking about that this week. Rather than what is my responsibility to them, the question now is asked what is their responsibility to me? And if it's not being met, I'm going to burn things. Along with... Um, receiving the ministry of shepherds. I implore you, I implore you, give yourself to others. I want you to notice something here. The, the previous two verses are saying, Brothers, receive these people's ministry. And now to the same people, he says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak. Be patient with all of them. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do the good to another and to everyone. Now, if we read these verses just in themselves, it can sound like he's talking to the church leaders. But no, he's talking to the same people that he just told to help out the church leaders by submitting to them. Or those that are doing ministry in the church and receiving that ministry from them. Here he's talking to the same people and he's saying, and be doing the ministry yourself. Give yourself to others. It's the same Joe Church guy that is called to respect and honor his or her shepherds. And the first way that we're called to give ourselves is in providing for growth in each other. He says, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. This term, the idol, it's not American idol, it's not I D O L here. It's I D L E. It's a military term, actually, for a soldier that refuses to stay in line. That that refuses to to keep the pace or or work through the rank. It's actually, in the New Testament, this term is only used here or in another form in the second letter to the Thessalonians. It would seem to be a unique problem of the Thessalonian church as we've looked at for for the reasons why in previous passages. But he'll write in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 11, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And the approach to these individuals from others within the church, they are told, admonish the idol. This means to warn the idol. Let me ask you, what does a boat do traveling on a river if its engine is idling? It goes with the flow. And to be idle in our culture to be simply idling your motor, you're just going to go with the flow. And we are to warn one another, stop going with the flow. It only leads to destruction. You're going to run against the rocks. You're just going to be taken wherever this current wants to take you. We are to warn one another in that way. Those who are drifting need to be warned to start back up to action in following Christ, so, so to be idle is a trouble of the will, but to be faint hearted is a trouble of the soul or of the mind we 're called to encourage the faint hearted the timid, those who may be natu- they may naturally lack courage or they may be disca- become discouraged easily by particular circumstances We, we know that the, those in the thessalonian church were were discouraged thinking about uh, Christ's return and and their brothers and sisters who had passed away. We've been told in our our letter here from Paul to the Thessalonians to encourage one another with the truth. We were told back in chapter 4, verse 13... where he says, uh, talking to them about not wanting them to be unaware of those who had already died or to grieve as others do, who have no hope in Christ. And and verse 18, the answer to this, he says, therefore encourage one another with these truths. In verse 11 that we wrapped up with last week, we were told, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You encourage one another with the truth. You know, I I watched poinsettias up front here just die a little bit more every week. But Lori, who knows about these things, well, well, those same poinsettias have been stuck under the the windows to get sunlight, and they're reviving. And that's what we need to do for one another—to encourage one another with the light of God's truth. That's what the faint-hearted needs even to just read it with them. Our community needs to be encouraged with the truth, with the loss of these two teens on Thursday evening. Encouraging believers that if we know Christ, we will see our loved ones again. Encouraging others that this world is not all that there is. There is so much more in Christ. To be faint-hearted is trouble of the soul or of the mind. To be weak is trouble of the physical body. And we're called to help the weak. To help, this verb here describes um, clinging on to something, cleaving to a person. It's, it's um, the same way that uh, you would, if, if you were to sprain one of your fingers and you weren't able to go get a splint or something like that, you might tape it to the finger next to it, which is stronger, cleaving the sprained finger to the strong finger so that it could lend it its strength. Uh, Dr. Truax told me after, after the first service, he said, you know, we, we had a woman that called us up years ago um, and said that she had sprained her finger and wanted to know what she should do about it. And he said, well, they, they told him just buddy tape it to the finger next to it. Well, she called back a few hours later and she says, I have been to every store and I cannot find buddy tape. <laughs> what an awesome picture of what we are called to do in helping the weak. Buddy tape them to yourself. Be their strength. That's what you are told to do. Admonish the idol. Encourage the fainthearted. Help the weak. John Wooden also said this, you can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. And, And what do we do with all people? Be patient with all of them it gives the idea of steady patience it's the opposite of being short tempered responding with what now it's the opposite of that impatience is easy but for Christians the role the the rule is long suffering and, and that's towards all all of these types of people and even people outside of the church whose eyes are blinded to the truth. You know, we conservative Christians, we don't exactly have a good reputation for being patient with all people. I read a child's prayer that said, Dear God, make the bad people good and make the good people nice. Or Peter Marshall worded the prayer this way, Oh God, when I am wrong, make me easy to change. And when I am right, make me easy to live with be patient with all. I think the only person who ever did all these things perfectly, the right ministry for the right person is Jesus. Admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, being patient with all of them. So aiming for this sort of improvement in your personal ministry is a part of following Christ. It's a part of growing in Christ likeness. It's a part of being more like Christ, and it will take you a lifetime to learn it. But move forward. Don't just go with the flow. Get your motor started and get involved in ministry, with one another, toward one another. Don't just look at somebody saying, "You know that problem, person's problem is, they're idle. That person's problem, they're, they're, they're timid. That person's just too weak. We are called to patiently do something for each one of those people. Plain and simple. I'm as guilty of this as anybody, folks. Somehow I can think, if I know what the pro- person's problem is, that somehow I've solved it. Or somehow that's my role. It's not. We're called to admonish, to encourage To help. Plain and simple. A teacher asked the pupils one time, her pupils, to tell them, what is the meaning of loving kindness? So a little boy jumped up and said, well, if I'm hungry and somebody gave me a piece of bread, that would be kindness. And if they put a little jam on it, that would be loving kindness. In church, a little bit of jam is called grace. Not only are we called to to be involved in each other's group, providing for each other's group, but also uh, of growth, but providing grace for each other. We see that so that no one repays, see that no one repays evil, anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to Everyone. Notice we go from the second person, you, to the third person, see that, no one. We are to watch over one another. We are to know when someone has been offended by someone else and encourage them, hey, I know what you may be thinking about doing. I know, you know, what you're telling me about this person. I think you're maybe in some ways kind of trying to get back at them by talking to me about it. Uh, the commentary says, not only has each one a responsibility for his own conduct, the whole community has a responsibility for each of its members. The New Testament commentary says this, Christian teaching is not meant to be applied only when circumstances are easy. Christianity is a robust faith empowered with a divine dynamic and is to be lived out even under the most trying circumstances. Even when evil has been done to us is the idea. We're not to repay evil, but to seek good. As Jesus told us in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What makes someone your enemy? They've done evil to you. Don't repay him with evil back. We're to be about grace. I appreciated what one proverb said. The only ones you should try to get even with are those who have helped you. The only ones you should try to get even with are those who have helped you. Don't commit acts of revenge. Instead, carry out acts of kindness. Always <laughs> seek to do good to, anoth- to one another and to everyone. Notice, this is both within the body of Christ, to one another, and to everyone. That's what we're called to. That's what Christ did. And we're called to always seek. This is more than occasional small acts of kindness. It's a life lived in an attitude of Christ-like love. John Wesley had this for his rule of life and I'm sure he he there wasn't a day that he met this perfectly but he says this do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can and I don't know about you but that does not come naturally for me it only comes from the Holy Spirit indwelling me and me being filled with that Holy Spirit producing the fruit of the Spirit which we know from Galatians 5 the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and, and so on. You know people today think that a difference of opinion is worth Worthy of banishment from society. Like like you differ with me, and, and the term is you're dead to me. I cancel you. You don't exist. Because there's something wrong with you if you can't agree with me. Guys, that's the current. That's going with the flow. That's where this culture will take you. Start your motor. Be following Christ, not this culture around us. Do not participate in this. That is just one snide remark back to another. We're called to follow Christ. This is what it looks like, and it will take a lifetime to accomplish it. There's a reason for that. It's like a point on the horizon. You keep moving forward, but you're never going to get there. But the point is to keep moving forward and to keep your eyes on him. Give yourself to others. You know, there's a difference in the world between linear thinking and cyclical thinking. In the West, we have more of linear thinking, okay? We think in terms of I'm at point A and I want to get to point B. You know, by a certain age, I want to have this much money invested I want to have um, this much accomplished and, and, or, or I'm, I'm parked here and I want to get over there and, and so we think I'm going to budget my time, I'm going to budget my money I'm going to budget my resources to make sure that I accomplish getting from point A to point B whereas other cultures uh, think more cyclically they think more in seasons. They think in terms of there's a time to plant and to harvest, and then there's a time that you're going to kind of feel like you're backing up. It's going to be winter again. You know, There's a that you move kind of three steps forward, two steps back. It's a little bit more true to life, I would say. But the challenge for us in Western culture in our linear thinking is we're planning, we're budgeting, we're setting everything up so that by this period of time, by this date, I will have moved from point A to point B. And the question is, what if somebody needs something from me between here and there? Well, you got to understand, I, I've budgeted that money. I've budgeted that time. I've budgeted those resources. If I help you, I might not get from here here. To there. And that's the that's the temptation of our thinking. And we need to give God or recognize God's lordship in the path from here to there. And and it, it can feel strange, you know, to take some of your time and say, Okay, I'm going to help someone move from here to there but it's gonna be cyclical they're gonna move three steps forward two steps back I'm gonna feel like I wasted some time uh, it, we're, we're going to help you know I'm going to help somebody with what I've struggled with in the past it's going to feel strange stepping back into that being honest about where I've been being honest about mistakes I've made maybe revisiting some of the things that I'm not happy about or that I don't want to think about but the more you dip back into that to help someone else you know what, you're reminded of what helped you grow you grow a little bit more further by, by investing those resources in somebody else, God has a way of rolling us forward a little bit more. Give God lordship over your linear thinking. Give God lordship over using what you have struggled with, what you have come through to help someone else. Help the idle, help the faint-hearted, help the weak. You know, I, I, like I said, I'm, I see a lot of affirmation in these verses for our process of leadership development here because there, there's not in the New Testament this division of these people are supposed to be doing the ministry, these people are responsible for everybody else, and then you have these people that have no responsibility or these people that just look to these other people that are responsible for them. It's all relationships of ministry it's all relationships of meeting one another's needs both physical and uh and of challenges of the mind and soul and, and challenges of the will being stubborn and I just don't want to move forward we're called to help one another and, and we're called to shepherd one another and and the way that we uh, have felt the Lord lead us for to to be accomplishing leadership development is we are always pushing people men and women into ministry relationships into their relationship with the lord to seek how it is that they need to be following christ in obeying him in doing ministry in other people's lives and and there and we pray about lord um who of our those, those who are shepherding our small groups who of those who are shepherding um, ministry areas and, and these people that are also shepherding well in their homes. Who of those men do you desire to call up to take the mantle of leadership of shepherding the church for a period of time? And, and we're, we're encouraged when we look at passages like this, and that's affirmed, we believe. We believe we're following the Lord, and of course, we pray as, as shepherds of the church. We pray for, we ask that you would pray for us to be following the Lord constantly as we should all follow him together. Now I'm starting to ramble, so let's close in prayer. Lord, uh, your leading is so gracious. You really are the good shepherd. You truly lead us through all sorts of pastures by still waters and Lord again we think of those in our community that are walking through the valley of the shadow of death Lord we pray that you would uh, bring your gospel to mind we pray Lord God that you would give us opportunities to share your gospel with those who need hope in this life Because this life ends. But the fact is it will be continued to live in one place or another. Lord, we want to walk individually with you and we want to walk with you as a church body. We pray, Lord God, that you would continue to lead us, to guide us. We pray, Lord God, that you would allow each one of us to be doing the ministry that you put in front of us for your glory and for us to grow in relationship with you and to grow more like Christ. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.